Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We continue uh, a study that we began several months ago out of the, the letter of Paul to uh, the Ephesian church with young Timothy as its pastor. For the last several weeks, we have been going through chapter 5 and now into chapter 6. Um, these are practical encouragements for the church family, and I'll allude to that in just a minute. This is the fifth part of that, dealing with our work, a very, very important matter. Let me read to you, and you follow along out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Father, we're grateful that we've been able so far this morning to study your word in our Sunday school hour, in our ABF classes. We've been able to look and to listen and to apply your word. And now we have come together. We've been singing your word to you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of doing that. Now we open your word and we do what we always do, verse by verse, go through what you have divinely inspired for us. So teach us about our work. And Lord, I pray that we might hear it. It might make an impact for everyone here, young and old. And I pray that you might be glorified as we listen, as we learn, and as we respond. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this morning, um, going through the message, I really hadn't um, thought about it before, but uh, I was thinking about some modern-day songs that go with work. And I need to get the clicker working, speaking of work, before we can go any further. Okay, Ron. These guys always do such a great job. What am I missing, Jonathan? We, we planned this so we would get your attention. Okay. okay, got it now. All right. I was thinking, can you think of any songs that go with work? I didn't have a lot of time to research it, but I thought of a few. Now, this is going back for some of you. How many of you remember you load 15 tons, and what do you get? Another day older, and okay, that's a song about work. Who did that, by the way? Tennessee Ernie Ford. There you go. Well, you got it. Okay. How about this one? I'm not going to sing it because I can't do it like Dollywood, but nine to five, working nine to, was that Dolly? Okay. All right. How about take this job and love it? 
don't you, don't you say that other, okay? We don't say that around here. Take, I, I, I almost titled this sermon, Take This Job and Love It. Wow. And then, of course, my favorite work song done by seven little guys, Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Do you remember the authors of this song? Each of them having a different character quality of work. Doc, sleepy, can you relate? Dopey, how about grumpy? Or happy, or bashful, or sneezy. Your work matters. That's what this passage of Scripture is about. The principles contained, listen to this, in these two verses might not be the subject that if I were doing a topical series would get my attention, but they are powerful. If you look back in chapter 5, the theme throughout that is honoring others. You can't get around it. It starts with honoring those in the church as you would family members. And then we jump into this chapter, and you're going to find in the weeks ahead that the theme is contentment. Now, by the way, I believe these two go together. Honoring others and contentment. I just don't think you're going to get it honoring other people unless you are a content person living the way that God wants you to live, and that includes your work. Now, surveys will show, and I've gone back, I did a couple of studies on this, that there is great discontent with work. Some people love their work, but a lot of people do not like work in general or their work in particular. The wisest man in the Bible wrote this about work. He had every resource at his disposal to do anything he wanted to do. But here's what Solomon said. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all empty. It was vanity and a striving after the wind. Look at this. He said, I even hated my toil with in which I toil under the sun, all work is a vexation. Do you know what that word means? Here's how Solomon described his work, and he did a lot of stuff. Vexation is a state of frustration or being annoyed or being anxious. Why? Why is there such a problem, not just in this culture, but it is, it, it is worldwide? Why is there such a problem with work? I'm going to answer that in just a minute. But let me say this. I believe this is a very, very important application right up front. Your daily content, we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, your daily content and peace and stability in this life is directly related to how the gospel impacts your life. And that includes your work. 
Now, remember this, and this is one reason, it's not the reason, but one reason why work is such a labor, no pun intended, is because Satan always is trying to invade your life and my life and to frustrate, and I'm talking about your whole life, he's trying to frustrate your desire, your goal of personal holiness, He's trying to frustrate your marriage. He's trying to frustrate relationships within your home, within your church, and within your work. So let's take the words of the Apostle Paul written to the church at Ephesus, specifically to the pastor, young Timothy, and see how these two verses and show how the gospel can redeem your work. Let's just walk through it, okay? Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. This is troubling to many people. Here's what it really means, and and I'm not going to get too deep because we don't want to get lost in the weeds, but here's what it's saying to you and to me. This was written to a group of people who worked and lived in less than ideal circumstances. That's safe to say, isn't it? A lot has been written about this particular verse and about other verses in the Bible, about cultural setting, not just our culture, but cultures around the world. As I said, I'm not going to fully get into that. In fact, in doing a a study this last week, I saw that John MacArthur had two messages on these two verses. The first spent the entire time talking about the cultural impact, slavery in the days in which Paul lived in in ancient Rome and slavery in the North Atlantic trade slave of the earlier part of this century, the last century. But here's what I do want to say about this under no circumstances. Please hear this. Should these words be misused, as they have in the past, to promote or to excuse any form of slavery in any place at any time with any group of people? It was a horrible institution, and it still is a horrible institution. You may not realize this, but while slavery is the the ownership of another person is illegal around the world, the UN did a study several years ago and estimated that illegally 50 million people are still in some form of slavery. Children, Women, human trafficking, men, working situations in which they cannot pull themselves out of that. 50 million people and the worst offenders, the United States is not out of that, even though it is illegal, Africa and South Asia. Do you know what God thinks about slavery? Let me show you what God thinks about it. Because a lot of times Christians, again, have gotten a bad rap about this. I'm using one passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. 
One pat this was written to the Jews now, and another from the New Testament. It should show you God's heart against it and how that mankind since the fall has absolutely taken God's good gift and has turned it into something horrible. Here's what Exodus 21 says, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. That's how God views slavery. Let's jump to the New Testament. The law is not laid down. Now, we studied this in 1 Timothy, talking about the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Three different usages to show how awful it is to disobey the law of God. For those who are, and then he has a list if you look back at that passage. But I pulled out one you may not remember is in that list. People who disobey the law, one of the kinds of people that that might be is called an enslaver of men. So with that in mind, Paul has something to say about our work, and that's what this is primarily about. You might think that has nothing to do with me, not a slave and not a master. We're putting this into the context, rightly so, of an employee and an employer. And this is where we really need to hear what God has to say. He has something to say about your work, no matter the circumstances of that work. Do you hear that? So let me say this, adults, older teenagers, soon-to-be adults, unless you are independently wealthy or you win the lottery, and how many people out there are hoping that somewhere they discover a rich uncle who's going to leave them a, 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 a legacy, a fortune, or they're going to win the lottery, uh-uh. So unless you're independently wealthy, or unless you win the lottery, or unless, listen, you choose to live off others, maybe that could be a disability, but sometimes it's just because people don't want to work. And so they're going to live off others. Unless you're in one of those categories, please hear me, you have to work. Children... Are you listening? You also have to work. So well, I don't get paid for it. You have work to do. One of our children, I'll not say who it is, although she's sitting on the front row. <laughs> when she was little and she was being told to do her work, we had our children do certain things. Believe it or not, all three of our kids were made, they were, they were required to make their beds, right, every day before school and some other activities. We had chores that we had them do. And, and this particular one, Katie, said, Mom, the only reason you had me was to make me your slave. It's not God's perspective. God had an intent for work. You, you may not realize this, 
But when we go back to the beginning, it is, isn't it amazing that when we were talking about men and women and how God created, and we'll see that again in a verse, we always have to go back, not to the perversion that is out there about these things today, we have to go back to God's original intent. And it's amazing how that in the book of Genesis, in the first three chapters, we find out so many things about God's original intent. If you're serious about loving Jesus, please, children and adults, then that's what you want to do. If you're serious about obeying Christ, your true master is in heaven. And you're going to work as if Jesus is Lord because he is. Let's just a couple of verses before we go back to the book of Genesis. And I want to compact this just to show you. And it's still using the same language of slaves, masters. We're, we're, we're making that as far as an application, employees and employers, bosses and employees, slaves obey. Now, now look at the, the attitudes as well as the work itself. Obey and be submissive to your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's a sense of respect. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Why? Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, just because your boss is standing over you, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, not for a paycheck, not because your boss, again, is peering over your shoulder. Now this, this last statement, whatever you do, children, if, you're, if your mom has said, make your bed, clean up your room, mow the yard, whatever it might be, whatever you do, work heartily. Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your might as for the Lord and not for your mom or dad or for your boss. Yes, you work for them. But as a Christian, you have a new standard. And you're to work as unto the Lord. I, I'm always amazed. One of my favorite biblical characters is Joseph. Now, Joseph was a, was a cocky young man. It got him into trouble with his brothers. What did his brothers do? They sold him into slavery. And Joseph, you know, it doesn't really tell about his attitude, but apparently from the work that he did, you can see that his attitude was, I'm going to do what I do for the Lord right where I am. And so he gets busy, sold to a guy named Potiphar. And he does such a good job that Potiphar, he didn't have to worry about anything. Should have worried about his wife. But he didn't have to worry about anything because Joseph was such a conscientious, listen to this, a man of integrity, a man of purity, a man who simply desired to do what he was set to do. And he was a slave. And, and then he got into trouble. He was put into prison. In prison back then, don't think that the Egyptian prison system was cushy. It wasn't. But what did he do? He did what he always did. He worked as unto the Lord. Now, I think I'm going to come back and say something about him. Joseph was a slave until the day he died. Some of you may not realize that. 
even serving under Pharaoh. So God has something to say about work. Now let's get to Genesis because he created it. You know, there's a misconception that work was given to us after man sinned. It's a part of the fall and the curse. That is absolutely not true. Work was created by God when he created man and woman. So look at that. I'm I'm squeezing together several verses. God created man in his image. If you're going to be in the image of God, which I hope you are, by virtue of the gospel, in the image of God he created him. Here we go to male and female he created them, period. That's it. And God blessed them. You know how he blessed them? He didn't want them just kind of sitting around the garden and what am I going to do next? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? Work it and keep it. And God saw that everything that he had made, including work, was good. Work was the good plan of God before sin came into the world, and it was only after sin came into the world through the fall of Adam that work became hard and unpleasant. Now, let me remind you, even though work can be frustrating, we we talked about that earlier, and that's one of the main reasons, because of sin. It was part of the curse that God told Adam that you're, you're going to work. That's what I created you, but the work is going to be hard. You're going to sweat. It's not going to be easy. You're going to get scratched up. All of the rest of that. Everything was created good, and it was only because of sin that it became so hard and so unpleasant. Now, here are a couple of other things that I want you to see. We are created in the image of God, so we work, listen to this, because God works. You say, oh, I got you there, pastor. It says he rested on the seventh day, but he got busy after that. How do I know? Because Jesus said his father worked. In fact, he's still working. God works, and Jesus works. And you know what? They love their work. That's a pretty good reason that we ought to let the gospel redeem everything about us, including our work. Did you know that we will work in heaven? Uh, These old pictures of Gary Larson has all these pictures of guys sitting around with wings on clouds with harps. I, you know. That may be funny, but I don't think I want to spend eternity in a heaven like that. So we have the reality that there is going to be work. Now, this is a parable telling us about the eternal condition, the master and the, 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 the slaves, the bondservants. They were given work to do, and according to their work and how they handled their work, they will be given, listen to this, the reward of working in heaven. You've been faithful in a few things, guess what? I'm going to put you into authority over 10 cities. So the next time, children, you're asked to work, 
Tomorrow morning, men, women, when you get up and go to work, whatever you do, remember that there are eternal consequences to how we work. And woven into, listen, woven into the whole concept of work are the principles of authority and submission and contentment. And that is why Paul uses the word bondservant. That's the favorite word. Paul uses it. Peter uses it, a bond servant, someone who has willingly become a slave, a servant to another, devoted to that person with a disregard of your own interests. I thought about this, and I, I really think one of the best illustrations of this whole principle of work and authority and submission and contentment is found in the story of the centurion with the servant who was ill. And so he sent some other folks to, to, to Jesus, and w- would you heal my servant? And they said, come on. But he said to Jesus, you don't have to come. Now, here is the statement to which Jesus answered, wow. I've not seen this kind of faith often. Even among the the Jews, there's a principle here. The centurion said, you would, wouldn't you think he would have said, maybe even a little bit pridefully, I'm a man with servants under me? It's not what he said. He understood the principle of work and of submission. And he said, I too am a man under authority. There's a legionnaire above me. Ultimately, Caesar is above me. But because I understand that principle, there are people below me that I can send and do the work that I need them to do. Now, here's another thing about your work. Please listen to this. The concept of secular and sacred work is foreign to the Bible. And it persists to this day because of what the the church in medieval times, they said there's secular work, let's say you work with your hands or you work with your mind or, or whatever else you might do, but then there is sacred work, so the clerical work, clergy, laity, and there is a divide. Folks, God created Your work, as long as it can be approved by God and it's not wicked or illegal, your work is just as sacred as the work of a pastor preparing sermons to preach. And every nail that you hammer and every piece of paper that you write on, every yard that you mow, Every person that you operate on, you need to see that as sacred. Don't ever say what you do really matters. You and I, if we're Christians, are people under authority. And if we understand that, then we see our work, listen, even in retirement There is a job that God has given you to do, right? And whatever it is he's given you to do, 
that is sacred. I, I just stop and ask you, how do you see yourself in your job? Now, I'm, ta- I'm talking to the kids as well. Because kids, your work is sacred. If you will grow up with that mindset that your work, when mommy or daddy gives you something to do, or a teacher at school gives you something to do, or as you learn something in a Sunday school class and you do that as unto the Lord, you are doing a sacred duty. Let's move on. I've only covered one phrase. So that the name and the teaching may not be, the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You do your work to make God look good and to make the Bible be true in the lives of others. You see, as with everything else, what's at stake here in your work? What's at, what's at stake in your marriage? By the way, if you're a husband, what is your primary job? To be a husband to your wife, to, to love her as Christ loved the church. Wives, same for you. You have a job. We're not just talking about what you do to earn a living. You have a job. You're to do it as unto the Lord, and he gives instructions. So at stake with your work, as with everything else, is the glory of God. And a Christian bond slave, a servant, glorifies God by honoring his master, his boss, That's the first thing that's at stake. The other thing is this. Why would Peter say, excuse me, Paul, some of you in the ABF class, I said I'm going to mix it up. We're doing 1 Peter in ABF, now Paul, so I may get a little bit mixed up. This is Paul saying this. Here's why you work so that the name of God will be glorified. And so look at this. The teaching may not be Reviled. What in the world would that mean? This is the teaching. These are the instructions given to us as the redeemed, the people of God. And if, listen, if we do not do our work as we're doing it unto the Lord, we put all of our flesh into it, no matter what that work may be, then the name of God will be reviled and the doctrine of God, the teaching of God, the Word of God will be reviled. Do you know how that works? The, like, the likelihood is in your job and in your home for sure, people know that you're a Christian. And all Paul is saying is if you don't act like a Christian on the job, you know what people, they probably won't say it to your face. But they for sure will talk to the assistant manager or whoever else. They'll say, I, I know that guy. I know that woman. They go to Heritage Baptist. They, they call themselves Christians. <laughs> can't get that guy or that can't get them to work as hard as the person who's an agnostic or an atheist. And that reviles the name of God. So Paul gives the negative. So that the name of God and the doctrine will not be reviled. That word revile means blasphemed. And I've been guilty of that. So have you. 
And that means if we're not doing our work so that God will be glorified, then he will be blasphemed. This word will be blasphemed. Now, he also gives the positive of that in Titus chapter 2. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Obviously, that doesn't mean disobeying the law of God. But in everything else, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. See, this whole thing, is, is, we'll, we'll see it in a minute, based on the fact that, well, I'm a believer, I can get away with that. But showing all good faith so that in, look at this, this is a beautiful phrase, that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. That word is the word from which we get our word, cosmetic. Many women in the morning before they come to church, what do they do? to adorn themselves. Well, come on, women, what'd you do? You put on cosmetics. But this word is also used in Revelation to describe, what a beautiful word, the bride of Christ adorned for Jesus when he comes back. And so Paul is actually saying, when you do your work, Christian, not only will the Word of God and the glory of God not be reviled, blasphemed, but look what you're going to do. You're going to make God and the Word look good, even if they don't like you because you're a Christian. If you're doing your work as unto Him, the doctrine of God and God's name will be adorned. You know what this says? This has an evangelistic focus. This, this is lighting your light Tomorrow, this, this is the city set on a hill. Tomorrow at the workplace, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good what? And this is more than just the, the good works of, of, of saying things that are pure and being a, a person of brotherly and agape love. And this is also talking about your work in the workplace. And when they do that, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, your work is more than just about you. And it's more than just about your boss. It's about the glory of God. And, and this, is, this is nothing new. We say this all the time around here. This is about a relationship. We must see everything we do in relationship to God. So therefore, your work is a sacred duty. Let's look at the next phrase. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. That's, that's an interesting phrase. Believing masters. Back then, that would have been exceptional. And probably today, most of you work in a workplace or for a boss who is not a believer. But in the case that you do work for a believer, even if you work for someone who's not a believer, be subject, even to the ones who are not good and gentle, also to the unjust. But in the case of working for someone who is a believer, this gives insight into the situation. Paul's point here is that being a believer, working for a believer, doesn't let you off the hook. 
I'm sorry, there is just that kind of attitude. Some of you are old enough to, to remember the Christian Yellow Pages. You remember that? It was very small, <laughs> not like the big Yellow Pages, very small. But, but people would advertise their services. And many, I, I heard this over and over again. I don't know if these people were just being anti-Christian, but I, I think there was some truth in it. They said, we will never hire someone with that little fish sign. Because they assume that they don't have to work as hard. Or that they get better pay because they're working for a Christian. This doesn't let you off a hook. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. By the way, this is, this is for everything. This is for your work. This is for your personal life. This is for your marriage. This is for your children. In our ABF study, we were studying out of 2 Peter. Last week, Jamal talked to us about those virtues. And I reminded our class about it today. If you're a saved person, you need to live in virtue, purity, good behavior. To that virtue, add knowledge. To that knowledge, self-control. To that self-control, steadfastness. To that steadfastness, godliness, then brotherly love, and then agape love. These are the things that apply to your life and to your work. Paul's point here is that working for a Christian brother, you ought to do above and beyond. You ought to go the second mile. Why? Because that person is a Christian. And he adds that last statement. Rather than they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their service are believers and beloved. So, what's the upshot of this? It's not rocket science. I've spent all this time basically boiling it down to this statement is that the Christian worker honors his boss earthly and eternally the same way Christians everywhere are called to honor Christ. And how is that? Sloppily? Do you honor Christ sloppily or do you do it with excellence? So Paul is simply saying an exceptional situation demands exceptional work. Now, there's one more thing that I want you to see out of this. and It has to do with contentment. We'll get into that next week, the Lord willing, about being content in all circumstances. But Paul says something very interesting. Two slides here out of 1 Corinthians 7. Look at this. Now, obviously, he's speaking to a bondservant. There's a particular cultural setting but, but he's saying some things about contentment, and yet, if you can do something about it, do something about it. If not, the Lord will be in it. Listen to what he says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. What does that speak of? Contentment. And to which God has called him, remain in the condition in which he was called but then he goes on to say, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned. Parenthetically, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity, it's not wrong for you to change jobs. As long as it's with the attitude, I'm going to use these words, holy discontent. 
you let the Lord lead you in that. As long as it's not, I'm discontent in that, and so therefore, I'm just going to jump ship. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. You know why Paul said this? Do you know why I'm saying this? I've fallen into this. And it really is easy for believers to fall into. Here's what we think many times. Listen to me. Mostly young men over here and throughout the congregation. A change in circumstance is what most people believe will solve their problems and make them happy. Did you hear what I just said? Shake out the cobwebs, please. Most people believe that a change in circumstance is what will solve their problems or make them happy. Most people think that flourishing comes from outside. As a believer, we know that flourishing is an inside-out kind of thing. And that's why Paul can make these incredible statements that if you're a slave, you get your heart attitude right, and it will honor God, and it will bless others. This goes all the way back to the garden, folks. Cain was the first guy who was discontent. And what did it do? Just what it says in the book of, of James, that, that when, when you allow discontentment, that desire, and, and it, you don't get anything out of it, what do you do? You murder. And that's what Cain did. So let me apply that. Could I? Stop fantasizing about the perfect job with the perfect boss and the perfect work environment. Now, again, if you can avail yourself and move, that, he says that's okay. But stop fantasizing all the time about the perfect job, perfect boss, perfect environment. seems to me that Adam and Eve had all that, and they still were not content in what God had given them. Stop worrying, oh my Stop worrying about being perfectly slotted according to your gifts, service. Just get busy serving the Lord where you are. I, I don't know that that slotted thing is a... I think it's a fairly recent phenomenon Back in the day, you know, a guy went to work at a factory and he, he, he wasn't worried about being slotted correctly. He was just trying to bring home a paycheck. And so the next time, adults, parents, you tell your child something to do and they say, Mom, Dad, I don't think I'm perfectly slotted to do that. Remind them, you serve as unto the Lord, and you will be a blessing, and you will receive a blessing. You see, faithfulness and not giftedness is what Jesus is looking for. Could I say that again? Faithfulness and not giftedness 
God's given all of us gifts. I, I had this, this idea uh, about this. I, you, you guys know, like I said earlier, when I get to heaven, I'd like to have lunch with Charles Spurgeon. I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything. What do you say in the presence of the Prince of Preachers? Charles Spurgeon started preaching at 19. Blew people away. Rightly so. He had a 6,000-seat auditorium that was packed the entire 31 years he was there. Packed. People would come early because they didn't want to miss Charles Spurgeon and hear him preach. He, he, did, he created orphanages, uh, a school for pastors, just on and on and on. And I started thinking to myself, okay, he had a 6,000-seat auditorium. Sermons were printed. You could read them worldwide. There were no podcasts in those days, but there were printed sermons, and they were worldwide. But remember, England in those days had a population of 197 million people. And I did a Google search, and I could find no record of any other pastors who were contemporaries of Charles Spurgeon. I'm talking about the guys out in the, out in the rural areas who pastored churches of 25 and who were faithful. Now, don't mishear me. I'm glad for Charles Spurgeon. But if those guys pastoring in those rural areas with a church of 25 were faithful, they didn't have to be as gifted as Spurgeon. They weren't. Someday, when they died, and they stood before the Lord Jesus. They heard the words that Spurgeon heard. Well done. Good and faithful, what? Slave. That word is bond slave. Good and faithful servant. Did you work this past week? in a way that would reflect the glory of God? Did you work this past week in a way that would reflect the fact that you're working for Jesus? Did you begin most mornings, if not every morning, meeting with Him, reading His Word, praying that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and direction in your job? And even contentment? Did you submit your words, your thoughts, your deeds to him, asking, Lord, will this glorify you? And then the acid test, really, did you repent of any time when you didn't? Now, we, we preach through a book of the Bible because we come to a particular place like this, and it talks about work, and we preach about work, and there is something there for believers. But if you came today, you might be a churchgoer, but if you have never been personally impacted by the gospel, Christ crucified for sins according to the Scriptures. That means realizing that before a holy God, you have sinned. The punishment for that sin is an eternity apart from God in a place called hell. But 
Christ died for sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And if you are here today and you've never realized that you are a guilty sinner, but Christ died so that you could believe in Him and have life, life everlasting, and have the gospel redeem every part of your life, every part of your life, including your work. I pray that today you will come to Jesus. If the Spirit of God is drawing you, please come to Him. I would love to talk with you. There are people who would talk with you after our service is over about knowing Him, loving Him, changing your life because of Him. We're going to pray in a few minutes and pray that. I, I, I hope that you'll pray with me about that. And as we pray, we're going to remember that this afternoon is a meeting, but next week uh, our folks leave for Barnabas next Saturday, so we want to pray for them. I want to thank God for a couple of trips that have been completed, and we've heard such good reports about the the, the trip to Kenya, the trip to Costa Rica, one of the men was telling me, a life-changing experience. So we thank God for all that he is doing through those ministries. So let's pray, and then after that we'll sing, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel that redeems everything, including something so, well, seemingly mundane, his work, it's really not it's sacred. No matter what our hands have been given to do by you, Lord, help us to see that. Help us to do our work as if ultimately you are our boss, because you are. And I pray for those who have not yet trusted Christ that today would be the day of salvation. Open their, their, their hearts and their eyes and their ears and receive the gospel. Father, we pray, too, for these trips that have just happened. Thank you, Lord, for safety and more than that through the ministry that was accomplished. And we pray for the Barnabas group leaving this coming Saturday. We pray that great ministry would happen there as well. So we thank you above all for Jesus. We make this prayer in his name. Amen.